Our call to worship comes from the 34th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, verses 25 through 31. God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations. Nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and shall no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God declares the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you call us your sheep and that we are able to call you our God and our shepherd. As we gather in the name of Christ to worship you together, would you send your spirit and pour out showers of blessing upon us that we might give you the glory to your name. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing our opening hymn, which is hymn number 130, Showers of Blessing.
You may be seated. Before we come to our time of confession of sin, we're going to have an Old Testament reading from Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 9. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a few moments now. You'll find in your order of worship, in your bulletin, a corporate confession of sin, partially based on the passage that we've just read. We will use those words to confess our sins aloud to God. After that, we'll have a silent time where we can individually confess our sins, but also lift up any other burdens or cares that we might have before the Lord on this Lord's Day evening. So let us pray together. Father, we confess that... Like the children of Israel, we are tempted to grumble. We question your will and complain about your providence, forgetting that you are a wise shepherd who always deals kindly with his sheep. Like sheep, we have gone astray. Yet though we are unworthy, we ask that you would shower us with blessings. Forgive our sins and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness through the atoning work of our Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Father, we come to you tonight confessing that we are sinners without hope, save in your sovereign mercy. And so we cast ourselves upon you. We cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. We often live as though we have unforgiven sin. When your word assures us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So would you help us to receive your forgiveness tonight? To leave this place knowing that we have been washed and we have been welcomed. Knowing that we are children of the Most High God. Knowing that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And that you are willing to send your spirit to bear witness with our spirits that we are children of God. If there's anyone in this sanctuary tonight who is struggling with assurance of salvation and assurance of forgiveness... I pray that your spirit would break through and that you would speak to them, that you would speak a pardoning word, that you would speak a healing word, that you would speak a forgiving, forgiving word. We so often pray for our physical needs, and indeed we should, for you are the Lord, the great physician who heals all our diseases. But when we look at especially the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he's always, 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 praying for the souls and the hearts of the people he's ministering to. And so we join in with praying him tonight, asking that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that you would shed the love of God abroad in our hearts, and that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, we might have strength together with all the saints to comprehend what is the height and depth and length and breadth, and to know the love of Christ, which passes understanding, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us sinners, for we ask this in your name. Amen. Our assurance of pardon this evening comes from the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah often called the fifth gospel because it is chock full of good news. Verses 6 through 11. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter... And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put, he put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge 
shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Christian, Jesus Christ has borne your iniquities. He was cut off so that you might be brought in. He was treated like a sheep for the slaughter so that we might be called the sheep of the good shepherd. Receive his forgiveness tonight. Amen. Now as we receive our offering, we're going to sing hymn number 676, which is day by day and with each passing moment. New Testament reading for the sermon is going to be in Matthew chapter 20. There in Matthew 20, we're going to read the parable of the laborers, the laborers in the vineyard. Starting in verse 1, hear God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like 
a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first. And the first last. And this ends this reading of God's word. So we're going to resume our series tonight that I've entitled Dealing with Spiritual Slumps. And we're going to talk particularly about the subject of grace. The series is based on, I'm outlining it based on Martin Lloyd-Jones's sermon series, which was turned into a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And as I was thinking about grace, a little-known story about this sermon series from Lloyd-Jones that he tells later in his book, Preaching and Preachers, was that he was putting on his socks one morning, And the entire outline for this sermon series just popped into his head. And he pulled out a piece of paper and he started writing it down. Why he was putting on his socks. Grace. It was just a great surprise. Now this passage that we just read comes in the context of the story of the rich young ruler. This upright young man who comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus tells him to keep God's commandments. To which he responds... I've kept all these commandments for my youth. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give away your money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. The rich young ruler goes away, sorrowing, unable to meet Jesus' requirement. And the disciples approach Jesus at the end of Matthew 19. And they say, well, if he can't, basically, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus is trying to show them. Salvation is all about grace. There's a song lyric from an older rock song that says the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. Another way of putting that is the beauty of grace is that we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what's fair. But there's a constant temptation to fall into the mindset that we want to get what we think we deserve, what we think we have coming to us. 
And when we're not getting what we think we deserve, we become discouraged. And when we become discouraged, our spiritual life dries up like a flower that isn't getting enough water. So this passage, really Jesus is showing us through the discouragement of these laborers from the beginning of the day, how we can fight discouragement. And so three points to get us there. First, we're to fight the urge to grumble. Second, we are not to make contracts with God. And third, we are to trust God's bookkeeping. So number one, fight the urge to grumble. In verse 6 of our passage, it says, About the eleventh hour, this master of the house went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he says to them, Will you go into the vineyard too? The phrase, old famous phrase, the eleventh hour, actually finds its origin in this verse. The idea is that these, this last group of men went to work at the latest possible hour they could go to work to still receive payment from the master. Now skip down to verse 9. It says, When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So you see two things in this text that really discourage these laborers in the vineyard. One is their expectations, and the other is they start grumbling. So on expectations, it said, verse 10, they thought they would receive more. That's the mother or the father, whichever way you want to look at it, of, of all discouragement, is when you have expectations, and then your experience and your reality doesn't live up to those expectations. You're discouraged at a job when you go in thinking you were going to make more money, your bonus was going to be bigger, your commission was going to be bigger, or your co-workers don't respect you. You had these certain expectations for how it was going to go, and then it doesn't. And so you get discouraged. You're discouraged with your children when they're not living up to your expectations. There's an old saying about expectations. You know, they're the, the root of all heartache. And so because of these unmet expectations, these laborers in the vineyard, verse 11, they grumble. The word literally means in Greek to speak in a low voice. It's talking to yourself. It's taking a sidebar. It's muttering, murmuring in a low voice. I'm not getting what I deserve. I deserve better than this. This is how the human psyche works. When you're not seeing your expectations realized, you start to murmur and complain to yourself and, of course, to others as well. And if you're not careful, your life will be one constant murmuring. You know, the low resonating tone of your life will be unspet, unmet expectations and low-voiced complaints. And Martin Lloyd-Jones' big idea in the book Spiritual Depression, based on Psalm 43 in particular, is that God calls Christians to speak to themselves and preach to themselves rather than listen to themselves. When you feel that low murmuring start in your soul or, or start to come out of your lips, you're called to Yourself. Like Psalm 43, oh my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, I will yet praise Him. When you start murmuring to yourself, don't listen to it. Preach to yourself. The beauty of grace is that we don't get what we deserve. Read the book of Galatians. Paul says the major temptation of the church 
is to believe that our salvation was by grace. It started by grace. But that the continuance of our Christian life is based on works. It's based on our accomplishments. It's based on our performance. It starts with grace, but now I have to earn it. And God's not giving me what I think I deserve because my earning power is clearly higher than He perceives it. No, the Christian life is grace. It's grace from top to bottom. It's grace from side to side. It starts with grace. It continues with grace. It ends with grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining at the sun, we're still going to be saying, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And grace and grumbling don't go together. And so we have to fight against the urge to grumble. Secondly, this passage teaches us that we don't need to make contracts with God. So in verse 1 of Matthew 20, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. The word agree is from the Greek word symphoneo. should sound familiar. It's the word we get symphony from. It's when two instruments or multiple instruments are in agreement like instruments playing together in harmony, both sides agree. That's what we have here. There's a contract being made. The workers are coming together to the master of the house saying, we will work for you for a denarius a day. That was the average day's pay for a laborer in those days. So when the laborers complain about the denarius later in the passage, they're really complaining about their own decision to agree to work for that amount. If they wanted more than a denarius, they should have said they wanted more, more than a denarius. They shouldn't have taken the deal. And so be, Jesus repeatedly illustrates this idea of making bad contracts with God throughout the Gospel of Matthew. You see it most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, for instance, in verse 1 of Matthew 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, here's the contract that these people are making. I'm giving to the needy so that people will see me give to the needy and therefore think that I am benevolent and charitable. And Jesus says, if that's the deal that you're making, surprise, you get it. And that's all you're going to get. You're going to get to be seen. Verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's Christ's principle. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't make deals. Don't spec set expectations. Don't even make deals with yourself. Just give, and then forget about it, and move on, as if it never happened. Because if you try to make a deal with God and set your expectations on your ability to do something good or to earn something, you're going to destroy yourself spiritually. Because A, you're never going to be able to live up, and then B, God's not liable to live by whatever contract you make. And he may just say at the end of the day, surprise, you get what you wanted. But you should have wanted something better. C.S. Lewis illustrates this beautifully in his book, The Great Divorce. Uh, the Great Divorce theologically questionable but the idea is that there's this middle ground between heaven and hell and every so often 
people get to come down, saved people get to come down from heaven and meet with people who've been confined to hell here in the middle and try to convince those lost people to come with them to heaven. And one of the characters in the story who's gone to hell was a morally, generally upright man, but he had a man who worked for him, one of his employees, who committed murder in the heat of passion. Well, the murderer ends up repenting of his sin and trusting in Christ late in life, and he's saved. And now the murderer has come down from heaven to try to convince his old boss that he needs to come with him. And so the boss says to the forgiven murderer, Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I'd done my best all my life, see? I'd done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job, see? That's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. His former employee says, It would be much better not to, not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you worked under me, and I'm only a poor man. But I got to have my rights, same as you, see? And his former employee says, Oh, no, it's not bad as that. I haven't got my rights, or I should, I wouldn't be here. You will not get yours either. You'll get something far better. Never fear. And the man says, that's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I always done my best, and I never done nothing wrong. And what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. The young man says, who knows whether you will be. Only be happy and come with me. What do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do. Ask it once. Ask for bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking and nothing can be bought. And the man says, That may be very well for you, I dare say. If they choose to let in a bloody murderer all because he makes a poor mouth at the 11th hour, that's their lookout. But I don't see myself going in the same boat with you, see? Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man. If I had my rights, I'd have been here long ago. And you can tell them I said so. See what the character is saying. Here's my contract. I was a good man. I never asked for anything from anybody. I never asked for bleeding charity. And I should be in heaven. And the saved man is telling him, No, exactly what you need is bleeding charity. You wanted to get what you deserve. And that's what you're going to get. Surprise. Here it is. The beauty of grace is that we don't, we we get what we don't deserve. Not that we get what we do. Be careful with wanting what you deserve. You'll get it. Don't make contracts with yourself and don't make contracts with God. And thirdly, trust in God's bookkeeping. Our passage in verse 10 says, Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us, who borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. 
But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first. And the first, last. See, God's bookkeeping, the way he keeps records, the way he keeps the timesheet is so surprising. The last will be first. The first will be last. You know, we have our own time cards that set up our expectations of what we deserve. And God couldn't care less about our time cards. He has his own clock. He has his own way of giving us what we don't deserve. When we think we'd rather have what we do deserve. The beauty of grace is that we get what we don't. We don't get what we deserve. Now, Haddon Robinson preached one of the, my, I'm not going to say the best because I'm not a judge of how good sermons are, but he preached one of my favorite sermons that I've ever heard. And it was on the passage, that, the parable that Jesus tells about the sheep and the goats. And in that story, Jesus says to the goats that he's sentencing to hell, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And they're shocked. They're surprised. They say, no, by no means. When were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When were you thirsty and we didn't give you something to drink? And Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of, whatever you didn't do to the least of your fellow men, you didn't do to me. And so depart from me. But then the sheep approach Jesus. And in the story, you can imagine that they're trembling, expecting a similar fate, but he says the exact opposite to them. He says, I was naked and you did clothe me. I was hungry and you did feed me. I was thirsty and you did give me something to drink. And Haddon Robinson says, the, ma- the thing about that story, what makes it so amazing is the sheep are just as surprised with the verdict as the goats are. You know, I think any of us, when we get to heaven, if we've experienced grace, we're going to be shocked. We're going to be shocked. Now, Ligon Duncan said, you know, Jesus is going to praise us so highly that it's going to embarrass us down to our socks. Never forgotten that image. And so Haddon Robinson preaching on this passage, his sermon was called Surprise. And he tells an imaginary story. He pictures himself standing before God, standing before Jesus on the judgment day. And Jesus says to him, Robinson, do you have your date book? Look at November 1983. And Haddon says, yeah, it's right here. I remember that. That's when I was president of the Evangelical Theological Society. I was up in Denver. I gave the paper on the relationship of hermeneutics to homiletics. And the king said, no, I wasn't interested in that paper. No, what I was thinking about was that before you made that trip, your wife told you about a couple at the seminary who were having a tough time financially. And you put some money in an envelope, and you put it in their mailbox. You remember that? And Haddon Robinson says, well, Lord, I... I guess I remember that. It wasn't in my date book. Maybe my wife remembers. And the king says, I remember when you gave that money to that couple, you gave it to me. I'll never forget it. And the king said, look at March 1996, second week. Haddon Robinson said, yes, that's when I was named in Newsweek magazine as one of the greatest preachers in America. The king says, no, no, I don't ever read news magazines. 
You know how untrustworthy and accurate they are? What I was thinking of was after a class, there was a young woman who stayed in her seat, and you asked her how it was going. And she said, fine. And you said, no, how are you really doing? And she said her father had just died. And a month before, her brother had died, and the grief was more than she could handle. Haddon Robinson said, maybe I remember that. The Lord said, you spent 15 or 20 minutes with her. You remember that? No, I'm not sure I do. The king says, I remember it. That was me you were ministering to. I never forgot it. And then the king says, you remember that funeral you did for that man who you had never met and all his kids were fighting because the death was unexpected and things weren't in order and there was a dispute about the will and they wouldn't talk to each other? Haddon Robinson said, I kind of remember that, Lord. And the Lord said, oh, I remember it. That was my funeral. You did that for me. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Get rid of the time clock. Get rid of your schedule book and all of the accolades that you think you've accomplished. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, not him giving us what we do deserve. You know, there was another story about the 11th hour, so to speak, in Scripture. And that was the story of the thief on the cross. He was saved at the very last minute. He had done nothing. And Alistair Begg has a famous little quip he made about that, of the thief on the cross standing before the angels in heaven saying, may I come in? And the angels are asking him, why should we let you into heaven? What have you done? And the man says, I haven't done anything. I was a thief. I was crucified. I was executed for a crime that I truly committed. Well, then why should we let you in? And his answer was, because the man on the middle cross said I could. That's grace. It's us getting what we do not deserve. Not us getting what we do deserve. Lloyd-Jones, and this, I was looking forward to this so much tonight because and emotionally, the sermon that Lloyd-Jones preached on this passage had a huge impact on me and has continued to have a huge impact on me for years and years after I've read it. And this is the key passage that hit me, quoting him. He said, The secret to a happy Christian life is to remember that everything is of grace. That's the secret. Not watching the clock, not assessing the amount of work you've done, not keeping a record book, but forgetting everything except the grace of God. Everything except the glory of God, the privilege of being a Christian, the privilege that Christ has removed you from darkness into his glorious light. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. For this reason, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's no need to waste time keeping the accounts. God is keeping them. And what wonderful accounts they are. May I say it with reverence. There is nothing I know of that is so romantic as God's method of accountancy. That's a, that's a sentence you never expected. Nothing is romantic as God's accountancy. The way he keeps records is the most remarkable thing that we will ever experience. And so Lloyd-Jones says, be prepared for surprises in this kingdom. You never know what's going to happen. 
The last will be first. The first will be last. It's a complete reversal of our materialistic outlook. The last first, the first last, everything upside down. The world, the whole world, turned upside down by the grace of God. If you're going through a spiritual slump, what you need tonight is for your world to be turned upside down by God's grace that he's always giving you. Not what you do deserve, but what you don't deserve. And that's the good news. Jesus, who earned everything, gave up everything so that he could give you everything. When you're tempted to grumble, remember the gospel. When you want to bargain with God, don't be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Put your time card in Jesus' nail-pierced hand and let him rip it up because he will give you something so much better. He'll give you grace. Surprise! The beauty of grace is that we don't get what we deserve. We get what the man on the middle cross deserves because he took what we deserve. Let us pray. Father, we give such lip service to grace. We sing about it. We speak about it. Amazing grace is almost like a national anthem of our state religion in America. But how many of us have truly experienced it? Deeply experienced it to the point that no matter what we're facing, we're always so thankful that you don't give us what we deserve. Instead, you give us what Jesus deserves. Lord, if there's someone in the sanctuary tonight going through a slump, feeling like they need to pull themselves up out of that slump, Father, may they repent of that notion immediately. And instead, I ask that you would pull them up by your mighty hand. That we would simply take you at your word. That you are willing to forgive us. That you are willing to grant your spirit to us. As the Lord Jesus says... If an earthly father's child asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. And so much more. If we ask you for the Holy Spirit, you will give the Spirit beyond measure. And so would you grant us your Spirit to get us out of the valley we might be in and help us to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint, and perhaps even to soar on wings like eagles as we wait upon you and your ultimate deliverance on the last day, when we will hear you say, not because we deserve it, but we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We look forward to that day. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 679. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Would you stand as we sing?
Now leave with God's blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you all. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.